This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. The taping of today's podcast I'm actually doing on Juneteenth, June 19th, 2020, And it's the same weekend that we all recognize also Father's Day weekend. Let me just share, first of all, what I believe is the significance of remembering and honoring Juneteenth. You see, Juneteenth is also known as Liberation Day, Emancipation Day, and Freedom Day. It's an official Texas state holiday annually recognized and celebrated on June 19th. It wasn't until June of 2004 when I was actually invited personally to participate and share at a Juneteenth gathering in Houston that I began to better understand the deeper importance and significance of Juneteenth. You see, history shows that although President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the emancipation of slaves effective January 1st, 1863, it wasn't until June 19th of 1865 when the Union troops arrived in Galveston, Texas to enforce the federal orders. And Army General Gordon Granger read the federal orders in Galveston. He was proclaiming all slaves in Texas were already free. You see, although slavery was abolished in 1863, many in the Gulf Coast did not even hear about their freedom until June 19, 1865, which was nearly two and a half years after the emancipation. The Frederick Douglass Foundation said, General Granger's announcement that the immoral and brutal institution of slavery had at long last been abolished, sparked widespread celebrations among newly freed black Americans, culminating with the establishment of a spontaneous holiday on June 19th of 1865 that they called Juneteenth. The Frederick Douglass Foundation update goes on to say, What made slavery unconscionable in the United States, even as it went largely unchallenged in some other parts of the world, was its unmistakable contradiction with the American fundamental ideals. The friction between our actions as a nation and the beliefs upon which we built our country prompted change. It seems that whenever we discuss the sins of our nation, it says, we pay little homage to the part of the story where good finally triumphs over evil, where American ideals prevail over injustice. So on Juneteenth, the vile racism that considered some Americans to be property without human rights, was finally consigned to the ash heap of history. Juneteenth should be an opportunity to recommit ourselves to values like liberty, justice, and equality. These are the values that lifted our country out of evil and continue to bring us closer to be the city on a hill that we strive to be. It goes on to say, Juneteenth also serves as a stark reminder that slavery was far worse and of much greater magnitude than we tend to think, not just in America, but around the world. Even after the slave trade was ended in America, it took two decades to end it around the world. Along with Great Britain and France, the United States had to send warships to patrol and interdict slave shipments off the Atlantic coast of Africa. That's why holidays like Juneteenth are so important It's an opportunity to reflect on who we are as a country and assess where we might be in friction with our values. 
So it goes on to say, let this Juneteenth be a reminder of who we are as a country. Let it address the areas where we fall short. And let it also be a celebration of the values and ideals that open the doors to the American dream to a people long locked out, end quote. You know, as a Christian, I'm also reminded personally of the liberty and freedom we've been granted together through Christ and the proclamation of His promises and His word. The message of the cross is good news, for we've been liberated through the work of the cross. Yet, many of us, even as Christians at times, are not aware that we are free indeed. Like a person who is an heir or recipient of a fortune, yet has not heard the news, many of us are living far short of God's intentions. I'm personally reminded of Paul's words in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free or given us freedom, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. John 8 verse 36 says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The world needs godly, courageous, and committed leaders. As Doug Stringer often reminds us, our desire to win must be greater than our moments of challenge. When you listen, subscribe, and share a Word in Season podcast, you are promoting words of encouragement and hope in a world that's plagued by negativity and despair. Thank you for being that shining light. So on this Juneteenth weekend and Father's Day weekend, I'd like to take a moment to share on God's special grace and father heart for the orphan and the widow. But before I go on with that message, I want to just share about a couple of people that I saw as epitomizing the father heart of God for an orphan fatherless generation and throughout their whole lifetime with intentionality sought to seek the ministry of reconciliation, not just in our city, but for our generation. In my books, Who's Your Daddy Now? and In Search of a Father's Blessing, I have a memory page for Judge Tony Guillory. Let me just share a little bit about Judge Guillory. He was a man of faith, a champion of courage, and a mighty man of God. He considered me one of his spiritual fathers, yet he was also an example of the Father's heart to those around him. Though he never even knew his own father, He also found time for others and was often giving of his own time to speak to troubled youth. Even though Tony was a man of stature in the community, working in Houston as an administrative judge for the EEOC, or the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, he was a man of great humility. He had once been assistant attorney general for the state of Texas, but many people didn't even know that because he was always more interested in listening to others than he was about talking about himself. Tony put God first in all things. He took care of his family, his wife Vicki, and their son Markel. Judge Tony Guillory also served on the board of our ministry. He brought great wisdom and quiet strength to these board meetings and every gathering that we had together. In the courtroom, those he ruled against still respected him because his judgments were just. He was part of our Mighty Men's Ministry, a group of men who met weekly to become better husbands, fathers, and men of God. He was a man who never had an unkind word to say about anyone. Having walked with a limp for nine years following liver transplant surgery, one of Tony's greatest desires was to run again and to play ball with his son. Now he is running once again in his glorified body. He ran ahead of us all, and he taught us how to triumph even in adversity. 
Vicki Guillory, the wife of the late Judge Tony Guillory, continues to carry the legacy even today as a chaplain and as one who carries out the heart of God to reach this orphan and widowed and fatherless generation. She continues to be a vital part of our ministry. In fact, I received this letter from an inmate from the Harris County Women's Detention and Correctional Center. It says, My name is such and such, and Mrs. Vicki Guillory comes to minister to me every week here, and she allowed me to read your book, Who's Your Daddy Now? A sidebar, it's now called In Search of a Father's Blessing. I just have to say that some Christian books are boring, and she said, God forgive me, but I really enjoyed this one. First of all, I was raised up without my father during a crucial time during my teen years, so I understand your point of views firsthand. Until I read your book, I don't believe I've ever looked that deep into how my father's absence had affected my relationships with my Heavenly Father. At this time of my life, I have a lot of time to think and realize many characteristics and behaviors about myself that affect my relationships. So reading your book has brought my attention to my thoughts of my relationship with God and has made me open up more and focus on why at times I doubt Him or why it's so hard to trust Him like Jesus Christ did. Now when I pray to Him, I also ask the Lord to help me to let go and trust Him fully and to always help me to remember that He is not human that he should lie, so I can remember who he is. I just want to say that many people don't understand that writing or speaking what's in your hearts could change a person's life drastically, but your book did so for me. So I want to say thank you for doing what God put in your heart to do. You are changing people's lives. Many others are in line to read your book next. God bless you, and please pray that I also follow what he puts in my heart sincerely, and she says her name. So this is Vicki Guillory carrying on the legacy of what she and her husband, the late Judge Tony Guillory, had in their hearts to carry the DNA of the Father Heart of God to an orphan, fatherless, and widowed generation. I was just recently in Bryan College Station for an evening of reconciliation prayer services where many leaders in the community and pastors gathered together crossing racial, denominational, and divisional lines because we recognize the urgency of the times and the hour in which we need to be of one heart because we're people of one blood, a people that are ambassadors for Christ together with the ministry of reconciliation. After I was done sharing, I remember coming into the foyer and a young lady comes up to me with a newborn baby and she says, can I just speak to you for a second? I said, sure. She said, Carmen with SOS Ministries years ago when I was in the program gave me a copy of your book. I didn't want to read it because I had a terrible relationship with my earthly father. So I didn't want to talk about God being a heavenly father. She said, as I began to look at the book sitting on the shelf, it sat there for years. In fact, I think she said six or seven years. And she said, finally, about a year and a half or two years ago, I picked it up. As I began to read the book, I realized how healing it had become because I truly could see my Heavenly Father as a father, not based on my relationship with my earthly father. You see, I wrote in that book, In Who's Your Daddy Now? and In Search of a Father's Blessing, I said, how is it that this generation can understand the love of a Heavenly Father when they don't have an earthly comprehension of godly fathers here on the earth? 
So we have to come through a different prism, a different optic. We have to begin to see God the Father, not as how we see the relationships we have in this, in this world, but begin to see it through the heart of Jesus, our Lord, and to see his relationship with his heavenly Father, that God is not a man that he should lie, that God's heart is the heart of a father towards his children, and that we have been given an inheritance. In fact, I quote often in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, that we give thanks to the Father, that's our Heavenly Father, who qualifies us to receive the inheritance as the children of the light. It goes on to say in Colossians chapter 1, it's because of the Son of His love, Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, all of us have come from various backgrounds, ethnicities, cultures, nationalities, various areas of backgrounds and experiences that bring us to that moment. But when we receive the revelation of the Father heart of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Then we come to a revelation also that regardless of our earthly relationships, that our heavenly father desires a pure and right and just relationship with us. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it says that we've been sealed by the spirit of adoption by which we call God Abba, Dad, Father. That's an endearing word in the Aramaic and the Hebrews. It's that place of Abba, Abba, Abba. It's Dad, Dad, Dad. And it's that place of endearment and relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth that he qualifies us. We don't have to qualify him. He gives himself to us and qualifies us to receive the inheritance of the kingdom and seals us by the spirit of adoption. When we think about even the laws of the land, when a family foster cares and then adopts a child and gives them their name, when the gavel of the judge goes down in that adoption process, that child who has now been brought into the family may not be biological, but as soon as that gavel goes down in the ceiling of the adoption, that child has equal rights as any biological child or other siblings in the family. So that is so true of God, the Heavenly Father, that when we've been sealed by the spirit of adoption, the, the righteous heavenly judge puts down the gavel and says, you have all rights as my child. You have all rights into my family. That's the awesome grace and amazing great grace of God that we are now sealed by the spirit of adoption in Christ Jesus. You see, there are devastating effects of fatherlessness in our society. It's an issue that burns passionately in my heart. For many years, I've had a great burden for those who do not know a father's love and affection, so much that I've written books on the subject like Who's Your Daddy Now or In Search of a Father's Blessing or, or Hope for a Father's Generation. My heart cries out for the healing and justice for a generation of spiritual and natural orphans. I know that these precious souls have a destiny in Christ, and I know that the love of their Heavenly Father in Heaven can set them free. As we said earlier, those whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But one of the things that is not often talked about is the effect of fatherlessness on mothers. Although it's not true in every case, but the overwhelming statistics are that children living with only one parent in the home are being raised by single mothers. In many communities, this sad reality is the norm, and the number of fatherless homes is staggering. While acknowledging the tremendous accomplishments of many single parents, let us be clear, this is not God's design. God never intended for women to have to play the role of the mother and father. God made mothers to be life givers and nurturers. But when they are forced to wear multiple hats, all at the same time, comforter, 
disciplinarian, provider, counselor, on and on, the result can be burnout. You see, God's design is for children to be raised with both mother and father, benefiting from the inherent strengths and gifts He has given to both parents. But the sobering truth is that the statistics for single-parent homes are not much different within the body of Christ as they are in the world. Although we know the truth of God's Word, we have failed to live by a different standard. But there is hope for the fatherless and the widow. How do we stop the cycle in our homes and communities? Boys raised without fathers learn that men don't stay with their wives and children. Girls with raised without fathers learn not to expect a faithful and committed husband. And so the cycle goes on and on. What is the answer? Where is the hope? Psalm 68, 5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. There is an answer for the children who do not know the love, provision, and protection of a father. There is an answer for the single mother who is struggling to do everything on her own. God sees you. He knows you. You are precious in His sight. He has a plan for you. You see, God's great and amazing grace abounds. Scripture makes it abundantly clear with dozens and dozens of scriptures that proclaim this message. God has a special place within His own heart for orphans and widows. Psalms 146 verse 9 says that he will support them. Exodus 22 verse 23 says he will hear their cry and will vindicate them. Proverbs 15 25 says he will protect their property. Deuteronomy 10 18 tells us he will grant them justice. There are many scriptures that tell us about God's intimate relationship to the orphan and the widow. I don't believe that it's only those who have lost a father or husband to a physical death that qualifies orphans and widows. I believe there is both a literal and figurative meaning to these terms. Our society is full of children whose fathers are absent from their lives for one reason or another. There are countless women who have been abandoned by their husbands physically, emotionally, even spiritually. But God has a special grace for these ones. Romans 5.20 says that... Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. This is good news for our society in which absenteeism among fathers abounds. There is great grace from our Heavenly Father that is available to each and every one of us. Even when the statistics seem to get worse, we can rejoice in the grace that we can access through the blood of Christ. And never forget, if you feel like you're an orphan or fatherless or a widow or abandoned, God has a special grace and care just for you. God has promised and He's bound Himself to look after and care for the orphan and the widow. Moreover, He has commanded His church, the body of Christ, to take up the same responsibility. The people of God must be a living, breathing, moving revelation of the Father, the Father heart of God. We must reach out to those who have been abandoned and become spiritual fathers to the fatherless and a source of support and provision to spiritual widows. If you know a child who has lost his or her mother or who is struggling with their sense of identity and purpose, or if you know a mother who has lost her husband or who has been abandoned, just trying to make ends meet and keeping things together, God does not merely suggest that you help them. He commands it. The cycle has not been broken and the statistics have not changed because we, the church, have not yet fully answered the call of God. The Lord told Israel that when they went out to gather their harvest, they were to leave some behind for the alien, the widow, and the orphan. Deuteronomy 24 verse 19 and Deuteronomy 26 verse 12. His heart and his principles have not changed. 
we must care for one another even as he so generously cares for us. Quite a few years ago, I was invited to be part of the leadership of a gathering of pastors on racial reconciliation and generational blessings. During one of our gatherings, I was invited to minister at a racial reconciliation meeting in Louisiana, along with another leader and pastor, Levy Knox. During the meeting, Bishop Knox delivered a powerful message he called, The Camels Are Coming, encouraging us in the context of reconciliation to accept and serve whatever camels came our way. The message so resonated within me that I soon began to equate it with our ministry to the emerging generation. You see, Pastor Knox was alluding to the account in Genesis 24, telling of Abraham sending a servant in search of the bride for his son Isaac. The servant took ten camels with him on the journey, each bearing not only basic necessities for desert travel, but also gifts for the bride. How will I know when I have found the one meant to be Isaac's bride, the servant asked. As he pondered the question before God, it became clear that the woman would be known by her willingness to serve anyone in need. The servant found such a woman in Rebekah, who was drawing water at the well but quickly offered to serve him and the ten camels who had just journeyed through the desert. See, these camels were not only thirsty, they were dirty, hungry, and smelly. I've been told that one camel or dromedary can drink up to 40 gallons of water each, which means that this woman, Rebecca, was willing to serve those ten thirsty camels up to four hundred gallons of water and did so. She didn't realize as she served the camels that they were also bearing gifts on their backs that she would soon become the beneficiary of and receive. She wasn't looking for the gifts. She simply desired to serve. So what does the Bible story about a bride and 10 camels have to do with the book about spiritual fathers and a generation of orphans? That's the beauty of God's word and all the hidden treasures that lie within it. You see, Abraham was a type of the Heavenly Father. Abraham's servant is a type of the Holy Spirit. And Isaac is a type of the Son, Jesus. Today, the Heavenly Father is sending out the Holy Spirit in search of a bride who's prepared to serve Him and to serve those in need. And the camels? We were camels who came out of the wilderness and have now been redeemed. We were those dirty, smelly, and thirsty camels, but someone served us. Jesus filled us with his rivers of living water that never run dry, rivers flowing from the throne of God with healing and power and deliverance and liberation and freedom. And he didn't stop there. God quenched our thirst and began to change our lives. And the cycle continues as our lives are changed through Christ. As we grow up with him and represent him as his church, as ambassadors of Christ in the body of Christ, God bids us to reach out and rescue others with the same water of life. Many in this orphan, fatherless generation, this emerging generation are the same. They are covering up their fears and insecurities and pain. Now we as former camels redeemed by God have an opportunity to be like Rebecca, the servant bride, willing to take on the task at hand regardless of the cost. You see, the book of Revelation reveals the bride preparing herself for Christ as we are part of that bride. Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife or bride has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true sayings of God. As we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord, we must commit ourselves to a holy life and to seeking God's kingdom first. 
This generation of young people, an emerging generation, may be like those camels coming out of the wilderness. God is looking for individuals and churches who will serve them and give them a drink. They may not look like us. They may not sound like us. We may not even understand them. But God wants us to have a sensitivity of the Holy Spirit to know how to go into the hearts of this generation and to call them into their destiny. John the Baptist came out of the wilderness dressed in camel's hair, wearing a leather belt around his waist, eating locusts and wild honey. He was extreme, radical, passionate, full of zeal. By wearing the camel hair cloak, he not only comes out of the desert proclaiming the coming of the Lord, but he also represents the camels themselves, the generation emerging from the wilderness. You can read that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. I really believe that even though John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness, there is a generation emerging, a young generation whose voices corporately are crying from the wilderness. And as God begins to redeem them and to change them, and they begin to recognize the Father heart of God, who is sealing them by the spirit of adoption through Christ Jesus, that they too will be a corporate prophetic generation that God will raise up as preparing the way of the coming of the Lord. See, the cloak of a camel's hair is symbolic of a prophetic covering. We live in a day in which we, the church, are to go forth in the spirit of John the Baptist, proclaiming the coming of the Lord, liberty to the captives, and healing to the brokenhearted. I believe that the emerging generation that is coming out of the wilderness and being transformed by the power of the gospel will be called to be like a corporate, modern-day prophetic generation. And like their predecessors, or like John the Baptist, they are extreme, radical, passionate, and full of zeal. But God is going to clothe them in a prophetic mantle, equipping them to do the work He has ordained for them from the very foundations of the world. As preparation is made for the Lord's return, there will be many in this generation whose hearts will turn back, not only to their earthly fathers, but to their heavenly Father as well. God is already pouring out His grace upon this generation who is desperately needing Him. Joel 2, verse 28 and 29 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit in all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I believe God is referring to those who will live an uncompromising life for Him and boldly proclaim His truth and mercy to spiritually nomadic people wandering in the wilderness. From this very generation of wandering drifters will come even more prophets and prophetesses who, transformed by the power of God, will proclaim and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Many of these camels are desperate for change, and they are looking for someone to guide them. And as they come to know the living God, they may be radical, but they will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I love what Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. This generation knows the road of heartache and the pathway of pain. When they come to Christ, they're ready for sweeping change. Then from that place of brokenness and gratitude, we see them going out boldly proclaiming truth and rescuing others. I believe that the older generations have an inheritance to pass to the next generation. But inheritance is received, not taken or stolen. 
the younger generation must also be willing to honor the foundations laid, the sacrifices made, and the price already paid, to honor the older truly to receive the inheritance for the future. When we show honor to one another or appreciation, it releases blessing. When you honor a person, you are endeared to him or her, and he or she wants to bless you in return. The younger must be willing to honor the older to receive the inheritance for the future. During one of our pastors and leaders gatherings that we facilitated years ago in Houston, we wanted to honor three of the fathers in our city who had each been serving in ministry for over 50 years at the time. That was Bishop Roy Cossey Jr. from Latter-day Deliverance Revival Church in Houston's Fifth Ward, Pastor Cantu who led El Tabernacle, a Hispanic church, and Pastor Carmut from the Arabic Evangelical Church. The audience included over 100 pastors and leaders from all denominations and types of ministries. And during an extended ministry time at the end of the meeting, each person had the opportunity to receive a spiritual father's blessing in prayer for each of these leaders. As I looked across the room, I was so impressed with the genuine diversity and the beauty of the dynamics of the day as we witnessed a multi-generational and multi-ethnic honoring of these spiritual fathers who were all finishing their race as well. In retrospect, each of them has now entered the portals of heaven, but they leave a lasting legacy, not just through their children, but also through their spiritual children and through the commitment to see the body of Christ be the body of Christ, crossing racial and denominational and generational lines. What a legacy to build on. These men who themselves lived through the challenges of their era and through discrimination, and yet they persevered by keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith. Their legacies are impacting people all over the world, and many are the beneficiaries of that legacy. The Lord's anointing was so powerful and so evident, many commented on it afterwards. In fact, Pastor and Mrs. Carmut even said it reminded them of the revivals in Jerusalem and throughout the Middle East that they were a part of in the 1960s and 70s. Because we honor those who have gone before us, God chose to bless our time together. When we recognize the importance of honor and appreciation and blessing one another, the blessings then return to us, which will result in a corporate, multi-generational anointing and a prophetic generation to be released in the preparing of the coming of the Lord. We may live in some difficult and challenging times. At times, the world may be in turmoil. It can be perplexing and overwhelming. But let us take the time today to recognize God's special grace, His Father heart for each and every one of us. And for those who don't understand the love of the Heavenly Father, would you take time right now to allow the Heavenly Father to embrace you? One of my prayers every day is I say, Lord, thank you for your Father's embrace. May each of us recognize the love of our Heavenly Father, that we have been sealed by the spirit of adoption, by which we call Him Abba, Father, Dad. You see, God's desire is a relationship with each of us. He has an inheritance for you and for me. And together, may we be that one new man, that corporate body of Christ that the world will see as one, that we would cross our racial and denominational lines, meeting at the cross of Christ together. And may the world see that in the church, we put aside our weapons against one another and pick up harvesting tools together. The world may be in turmoil, but in the house of the Lord, the presence and peace of God should be in our midst. And together, may we be a healing balm to a world that desperately needs to know the Father heart of God and God's special grace and His heart for this generation. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.